This is episode 15 on the Millennial Life School podcast on choosing impact over profits with Tammy Cho. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Millennial Life School podcast, where it's all about inspiring and encouraging 20 to 30-something-year-olds as we figure life out together. guys welcome back to another episode on the millennial life school podcast and oh my gosh y'all i am so freaking excited to share this episode with you guys because today's guest is tammy cho and she's someone who means so much to me personally she's not only my childhood best friend but we like literally grew up together. We were next door neighbors and we've known each other and we've been there for each other since third grade. So personally, it's been just incredible seeing Tammy just blossom and grow over the years into this amazing power woman that she is today. Man, oh my gosh, I freaking love this girl. So y'all, let me just give you guys a brief background on who she is. So Tammy, she is a tech startup founder who transitioned into a world of social justice and nonprofits. She started her first company in the tech industry as a college freshman at Georgetown University. She co-founded Encore Alert, which is an AI platform that helps brands like IDEO, Denver Broncos, and the University of Michigan identify and act on emerging trends, crisis, and influencers in their industry. Then as a young female entrepreneur in the tech industry, she grew tired of seeing all the harassment and discrimination in workplaces, and she felt compelled to take action and founded and launched Better Brave in 2017, which is a nonprofit that fights workplace sexual harassment, discrimination, and retaliation. And since launching, Better Brave has equipped thousands of workers across America with knowledge of their rights in workplaces and access to pro bono legal and counseling services. And she's also currently the co-organizer of Hashtag Hate is a Virus, which is a movement to combat racism and xenophobia against Asians fueled by COVID-19 and co-producer of Hidden Narratives podcast. Tammy has been recognized as NBC Asian America's A to Z rising star in 2018, Georgetown Entrepreneur of the Year, HubSpot Inbounds 22 Under 22, and Power Woman in DC Tech. Y'all, all in all, <laughs> Tammy, she is an incredible friend and, and she's just freaking amazing and I love her so much and so I'm super excited to share this episode. So let's dive right in. Mom, oh my. This is Millennial uh, Life School Podcast with... Hi, welcome to the Millennial Life School podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Isn't it so crazy that we're doing this right now? Like, honestly, just seeing you, it's like we were in third grade playing around recess and like playing on the monkey bar. So like where you're at now, like honestly, as a friend, I'm so freaking proud of you. And it's just, it's been so incredible just seeing you grow through this whole, like, through the years. Like, honestly, it blows my mind. And it's so crazy that we're here today, like, doing this podcast. <laughs> I know. 
Thanks so much for having me. And and you're totally right. When I think back to our days. Practically lived under the same roof. Yeah. And just to see how much you've grown since then too, right? I think yeah. it's been so inspiring to see you go from your work at Heart Media to dropping everything and moving to Bali, starting your own business, multiple businesses for that. Um, so it's, it's been such inspiration and honor to be your friend. Yeah, it's been, it's so crazy. And I guess one thing that I can say, I guess since we were younger, we always worked really hard because I distinctly remember those times when we were in like sixth grade. I think we used to wake up at like 5 a.m. And like you used to come over to my porch and we would be working on workbooks. Do you remember that? No, we, would, yeah. we used to work on workbooks and we used to read the Bible together at 5 a.m. Yes, we did. <laughs> I still have diary entries uh-huh. from the days where we would map out our days together. And so it would start off at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your dad would take us out to go running or yeah, do some type of exercise routine. And then we'd go into our workbooks and Bible yeah. study and all of that good stuff. That's so funny. Oh, my God. In fifth grade or fifth or sixth grade. Sixth grade going into seventh grade, right? Yeah. That's so crazy. I guess we were, yeah. we were a bit crazy back then, too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely foreshadowing our future. I <laughs> know. All right. So I want to ask you this. I distinctly remember when this was all going on and I remember you calling me about it and I think you were crying or I don't know. We talked a lot about this when this was all going on, but can you kind of walk us through in terms of like, you know, when you were, cause you were in Georgetown and as a freshman, you co-founded your very first startup Encore Alert. And then you decided to drop out of Georgetown to pursue and to build your company full time. So can you walk us through like what it was like when you're making that decision and when you told your parents about it, what was their reaction? Oh yeah. <laughs> I through that. that was quite the journey. Um, so I, you know, I went to Georgetown, um, went to my undergrad, their mm-hmm. business school program. And, um, you know, for the longest time, especially in high school, I thought that I was going to go to university, mm-hmm. get a degree in something related to business, graduate, and hopefully end up in some role in finance, accounting. Mm-hmm. The typical Asian, Asian route. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and I think it's true where my parents definitely encouraged me to go through, go through one of the stable routes, whether it's um, law, business, you know. Medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and what really uh, changed for me was in I started working um, on startup companies with friends in my junior and senior year of high school, actually. Mm-hmm. So that's when I got my first taste of it. But at the time, I didn't really know about this whole startup culture or entrepreneurship, really. All I knew was that I just wanted to help some friends out during the summer when I had some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went to Georgetown, I ended up teaming up with some of the same people to start working on another side project. And before we knew it, it started to get more traction. And as we talked to our mentors, they were introducing us to other, um, other potential customers. And then those people actually wanted to purchase the product. And so at that point, we were getting so much traction that we weren't expecting initially that we decided to put more of a focused effort on it. So we then applied to a startup accelerator program. And basically these accelerator programs are usually four months long and they match you with mentors to help you navigate um, how to start a company, 
And then at the end of the four month program, you pitch to a room full of investors that they've curated and invited and have a chance to raise another round of funding. So we went through that program and at the end of the program, we ended up getting quite a few investors that were interested and we ended up raising a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. For our company, which That's was crazy. huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, and really exciting for us. Um, and for me too, it's like, I've never, I never knew about the startup world beforehand. And so mm-hmm. it was all very new to me. Um, and once we got that funding, uh, the next question essentially became, what am I going to do next? Because all my co-founders, my two co-founders, Felipe and James, they had already graduated. And so they would be able to focus on the company full time, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was still a student at Georgetown. I was a sophomore at Georgetown. Uh-huh. Um, and clearly I still had two years left of school. And so I was at a crossroads where I knew that I couldn't split my time between school and starting a company, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had to either leave school and focus on the startup full-time or leave the startup and focus on school full-time. And I think in my heart, I knew that pursuing the option of leaving school and going full-time on the startup was the right path mm. for me. Why? Why do you say that? Good question. Um, yeah, so I think for me, it started off, to be honest, I think I'm a feelings person, an intuition mm-hmm. person, and so it started off with this gut feeling that that was yeah. the right for me. Uh-huh. And I think some of the signs were, you know, every spare moment that I had, I spent thinking about the company, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And sometimes even in class, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I was the worst student where I like developed the skill of being able to look like I'm like totally focused on the professor. But in reality, I'm like working on a pitch deck for the company. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, that, that, that totally makes sense. Because I remember when I um, first started the e-commerce business, yeah. like after I started, literally I was at work, but like I, I, my, I was physically there, but I wasn't there. Like in my yeah. mind, I'm just like thinking about, okay, like what's my next set going to be? How do I create this? Who do I reach out to for influencer marketing and like all these different things? Like that completely makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And I think I was at a place where, yeah, I was constantly thinking about the company and I knew that I wanted to focus on full-time, but I was trying to convince myself almost to stay mm-hmm. in school for some time. Uh-huh. And I think the primary reason for that was because I was thinking about my responsibilities and also my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know this too, where my parents you know, they were small business owners and um, they ran a dry cleaners and liquor store, right? And the startup world was completely foreign to them. And it was foreign to me too. Yeah. And, you know, growing up in a family that didn't have much, mm-hmm. this university seems like the golden ticket to be able to live a better life. Yeah. And I think I had felt that pressure to stay in school and be a good kid, um, mm-hmm. deliver on my responsibilities to my parents, even if they didn't pressure me in that front. I just had this subconscious responsibility and burden that I felt to take care of them. Um, And so I think that's probably, that was probably one of the most challenging parts, Mm. you know, I, to try to pursue the path of going full time on the startup while knowing that I know it's going to hurt my parents and they're going to be really worried about me. And I also don't know what the future will look like um, if I were to pursue the startup full time. 
Yeah. So when you were first bringing it up to your parents, like, were you scared or what, what were you scared the most about? Yeah, I think I knew I've rarely ever seen my parents cry. And I don't even know if maybe I've seen them once, like in my lifetime up to that point, seen them cry. Um, and I knew that sharing this news with them would break their heart. Mm. And I think that was what was really weighing heavily on me, mm-hmm. where I knew that they were going to be incredibly, uh, and again, it's all coming from a place of love, right? Like yeah, they, they yeah. just want what's best for me, but I knew that they were going to push back so much mm-hmm. um, when I shared the news with them. And yeah, and, so, uh-huh. oh, sorry, go ahead. And, and did, did they? And they did. Yeah. So I remember I flew home to tell them in person because I didn't want to do it over a phone call. So um, I flew home and I remember sitting down with them. I wasn't even planning to tell them at the moment, but I like can never lie. My mom has these like spider senses to know, be able mom. to know when something's up. <laughs> um, and so like, we were sitting down to eat dinner and my mom's like, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you, you look concerned. What's going on? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I just started tearing up and I told them the situation. I said, Hey, so I, you know, as you know, I've been working on this project with my friends. I didn't even talk about it as a company to them for some reason. Like uh-huh. I always talk about it as if it was like some side project as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was like, I've been working on this project with friends but we, you know, we've been getting a lot of traction. Um, we have customers, we have mentors, we have investors now that want us to dedicate our time to this company and really see it through. And I don't think I'll be able to do that unless I'm focused on it full time. And so I laid down the situation for them, the reason why. Um, and even before I finished, I remember my mom was like, are you telling us that you're about to drop out of school? (laughs) (laughs) She knew, she knew. Yeah, Yeah, she had a feeling. And part of the reason was also because I had actually joked about dropping out of school like a semester in advance Uh um, where I was like, hey mom, like what if I just drop out of school to focus on a company full-time like Bill Gates and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg? (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know. Yeah, I just, I like literally was like laughing and giggling mm-hmm. as I said it. My mom just like literally her face drops and she looks me dead in the eye and she's like, you are not Mark Zuckerberg and you are not Bill Gates. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. so funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I told, when I told the news to them and my mom realized where I was getting at, they, their immediate gut reaction was to just say no. Mm. <laughs> we're not doing that. You're going to be staying in school. You have a full ride to Georgetown. You're not getting that up for this company, mm-hmm. but you have no idea what's going to happen next. Yeah. Um, and that was really hard for me. Um, and it took some time, mm-hmm. but my parents eventually understood. Um, they, they, they told me that um, they understand that I'm an adult at this point and that I need to be able to make my own decisions and that they need to trust me with my decisions. Um, and also pointed out that it is true that we are part of different generations. And so there's information yeah. that I know about that they might not, not necessarily know about. For instance, the tech startup world. Yeah, I think that generation gap and also the cultural gap is huge. 
honestly, it's so funny because I feel like oftentimes when we want to pursue our dreams and we we want to step out and and follow our calling or our purpose in life or things that we feel like is calling us, I think oftentimes what we face is that the people who oppose us the most are our parents. And it's out of love, but at the same time, it is really, really challenging, especially because we love them so much that we don't want to hurt them. But then there's things where we know like there's differences between you know, what we know and what we want versus what our parents know and what they want. I totally agree with you on that. And I think part of it too is I think our parents oftentimes come from a generation that lives in out of fear oh, in many ways. Yeah. The fear of losing security of your home and not being able to provide for your kids. And a lot of your de- their decisions, unfortunately, had to be centered around this fear and being able to provide. And I think in a lot of ways, that fear transfers to us, mm-hmm. where they also fear for our security and our safety. And um, and I think that's also what drives why they want us to avoid certain paths and encourage others. Yeah, yeah. So after you left uh, Georgetown and you moved to San Francisco and you're in the thick of it all, in the startup world, and the tech world, what was it like being there as like a woman entrepreneur? Great question. Um, yeah, so it is. it has been a very interesting journey being a female entrepreneur in mm-hmm. both DC and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say I was actually one of the, the very few female entrepreneurs in DC mm-hmm. and there were more, thankfully more female entrepreneurs in San Francisco. Um, and so in terms of the transition that I experienced, it was really exciting uh-huh. to be able to move to the heart of startups. Yeah. Just learning from everybody and learning from their experiences. Mm-hmm. And that was really exciting. And then in terms of just my experience being a female founder in the space, I think where, you know, there, there's a lot of downsides to the tech industry. There's a mm-hmm. lot of sexism, discrimination. You know, I can't tell you the number of times I've been mm-hmm. at events where people assumed that I was like an intern, mm-hmm. somebody's intern or somebody's wife at like, at the time I was probably 18 or something. And they would just always assume that I was a plus one mm-hmm. in the situation. And I remember there's even a few times where we would set up booths for our startup and investors would come up to our booths. And I would introduce myself as a founder and they would always want to talk to a different founder. Like even before I started talking on my startup, (laughs) um, yeah, they would be like, oh, can I, do you have any other founders? Wow. Um, They would just totally dismiss you. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. That was really hard to deal with. And, you know, especially being young and new to the industry and not having as many mentors, Mm -hmm. like female mentors at the time, I think it was really lonely. Um, and I didn't, I felt like something was off, but I just yeah. thought it was my fault. Like I was yeah. doing something wrong and that really hit my confidence. Um, another example I could share is even among our investors, mm-hmm. um, we had great investors and I'm very grateful for them, mm-hmm. but I do think that they, there was a lot, a lot of investors that we talked to that still had mm-hmm. biases. And oftentimes when they saw me on the cap table or the equity table for, um, who owns the company or how much each person owns in the company, um, they would want to negotiate my equity down. And it was really interesting, right? Because why? Like, 
Yeah. What reasons do they have? Exactly why. Um, So the reason they would often cite was because I was a young founder and I had dropped out of school, which is really interesting because on the other hand, usually if it's like a male founder, they'll be like, oh, wow, what a promising young individual who has you know, dropped out of school to dedicate their time to the company. Mm-hmm. And so I just saw this huge disconnect and it was really frustrating for me. And what really changed for me, I think, was when I ended up finding a community of female founders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, it exists in DC now too, probably, but um, I was also able to find that really, a really strong community in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is because there's a lot of founders there, right? Um, and a lot of them happen to be female. And um, it was when I started to find that community and talk to them and learn about their experiences that Uh I realized I was not alone. Um, And that also relates to some of the work that I'm doing now. Yeah. Is all those, like all those experiences that you face as a female founder in San Francisco, is that what led you to co-found Better Brave? Yeah, that definitely played a huge Mm -hmm. role. And why I started Better Brave. Um, I also just had experiences navigating some of these issues, and mm-hmm. um, I guess would it be helpful for me to share context about? Yeah, Better Brave? yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Better Brave right now? Sure. So Better Brave is a nonprofit organization that I co-founded back in 2017, and we're an organization that helps workers navigate issues like sexual harassment and discrimination in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And uh, we create free pro bono resources and connect individuals to different partners for legal support, therapy, counseling, and more, um, basically to help them feel the most empowered mm-hmm. um, in making those des- next those decisions and um, those decisions on how to navigate these issues. So your first startup, Encore Alert, so that got sold um, when you were 21, right? Yeah. And then you were working there for how long? So I was working there for about a year and a half. A year and a half. And then you started Better Brave. What what led you? Was there like a defining moment that made you decide like, you know what, like I really care about this and I want to start this nonprofit? Yeah. The defining moment for me was actually when Susan Fowler over mm-hmm. at Uber yeah. wrote this blog post about her experiences dealing with harassment and retaliation at her company when she reported sexual harassment and other sexist behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, I think being young and new to my career, I didn't really feel empowered to share my experiences with many people. And I felt alone for a long time in terms of my experiences. And then I think when I read her story, I real everything made sense in a way, right? Where I realized, oh, I'm not actually alone in this. There are more people that are experiencing yeah. these type of issues and to sometimes a more severe degree. Um, and from there, it really inspired me to start talking to just some of my own people in my own circles. Mm-hmm. I reached out to my friends, um, a few of my friends, and also my sisters, just to share experiences. And, you know, before I knew, I realized that basically everyone that I talked to either experienced something themselves or knew of somebody who did. Mm. Um, And I think as I heard these stories, I realized that this 
should not be the reality and not, should not be the norm because we are half the population. Like women are half yeah. the population and we put in so much time and effort into our work. Like, and work in itself is difficult enough. Like we don't need to be, you know, trying to fight all of these other little battles of like making sure people don't harass us or discriminate, discriminate against us at work. Um, and so yeah, that's, I would say that's probably the primary moment that compelled me to start the organization. Wow. No, um, honestly, like what you do with Better Brave is so inspiring. And I think it is what, you know, what, what we need. So, yeah. yeah, so I really appreciate what you do with Better Brave and everything that you do. Thank you. So when you were transitioning from, I guess, the for-profit world to nonprofit world, what made you decide to do nonprofit instead of for-profit? That's a great question. And it's a question mm-hmm. that we wrestled with for months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so when I first started Better Brave, I started with my uh, coworker at the time and friend, mm-hmm. Grace Choi. And we wrestled with this question for like, I cannot tell you for how long. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so how Better Brave got started was, mm-hmm. um, so I, I was talking to Grace, sharing with her my experiences and I was telling her that I, I wanted to start an organization around this so that we could do, or I wanted to do something around this. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I didn't know whether it was going to be an organization or what. I just want to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I teamed up with her and basically we started off with, hey, let's just research this issue a little bit more just to see why this is such a prevalent issue mm-hmm. And in like 2017, right? Um, and so we set off on researching the issue and then we ended up interviewing hundreds of people Mm -hmm. with different backgrounds, including lawyers, human resources experts, diversity and inclusion experts, targets and witnesses of harassment and more, Mm -hmm. um, and basically try to get an understanding of what this, why this issue continues to exist. And during that process, we actually realized that one of the first gaps that we could fill was the fact that a lot of the people that we were talking to who had experienced these issues did not know, like did not have the information to decide what next steps to take. So Mm -hmm. that often led to inaction, right? The uncertainty and the unknown made people feel a little bit intimidated to take any sort of action, whether that's even just like telling a friend or talking to a lawyer. Um, And people didn't know about resources that were already available to them as well mm-hmm. so our first step was to create this guide and this guide very simply outlines your rights in the workplace your options for navigating some of these issues um, and different resources that you can reach out to and then we ended up publishing that guide just like months before the me too wave hit and mm-hmm. then a bunch of people had discovered our guide and pretty soon we were just a resource that was spread among the nation, which mm-hmm. was really exciting. Um, and in that process, we just had hundreds of people reaching out to us, sharing their stories, what they were dealing with, and how grateful they were for a resource like this. Mm. And I think as we were seeing that validation from our community, we realized, hey, maybe we can do something in regards to this. And that's when we first just, when, that's when we first explored creating an organization around um, around this mission. Mm. So then from there, it, the question came up of, do we go the for-profit route or do we go the nonprofit route? Um, because it seems like because it's social impact related, we should go the nonprofit route, but is there a for-profit route for us to consider as well? 
And as we were talking to different mentors, um, being in the Bay Area, they were very encouraging of us to go the for-profit tech startup route. And mm -hmm. it was a great opportunity. Um, you know, you have a lot of traction with the projects that you've launched so far. Uh, you know, I'm sure you could raise money on this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think being in that culture, it's hard to break out of. And it's really easy to be like, oh, if people are willing to give us money for this for-profit idea, then maybe we should go that route. Mm -hmm. And so we did explore that for some time. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing I quickly learned from that experience was when you are pursuing a for-profit route, your incentives are vastly different than if you're pursuing the nonprofit route because uh -huh. you're optimizing for money instead of optimizing for impact. And so I found our team constantly brainstorming ideas for new programs that we could launch that would fit this for-profit model. And we landed on, we landed on a few that investors are really exciting, excited about. And they were literally like, I have my checkbook ready. We'll sign checks for you. Mm -hmm. But deep down, I knew, like I felt off. And this is where like the gut feeling comes back again, right? Yeah, where, yeah. Like, my gut, I knew something was off and I didn't feel good about the decision that we were making to go into the for-profit route. Um, and I like slowly start to uncover that. And I realized it's because one, as I mentioned, we we're optimizing for money. And in that process of optimizing for money, two, we were in that process of optimizing for money, we were choosing models that didn't fully address the root of the problem that we were trying to address initially. And at that point, when I came to that realization, I did it, I realized like I started this not because of the money. Mm -hmm. Like I don't need the recognition for having started this. I don't need the money aspect of it. Like I just want this problem to be solved. And if that means that I have to sacrifice the for-profit venture-backed dream of starting a tech company again, so be it. Um, wow. And so then I talked to my co-founder. We both agreed. We actually originally incorporated as a for-profit. So we like closed down that for-profit entity and then we re, um, reincorporated as a nonprofit and have since been just focusing on optimizing for impact over the profits. Wow. I, I love that <laughs> just optimizing for impact and I think for me too like that's something that I've struggled with too you know like because I started this whole journey with an online store but you know online store that was all purely just sales I was just trying to sell products and it was just purely for profit you know like I, the products that I was selling meant nothing to me um, and it's just like, I really didn't care, but I was just so focused on money. And I feel like in this world, in this whole entrepreneurial space, everyone's so focused on money. And you know, like I see all these entrepreneurs and they gain credibility by telling people how much they make. And it's all about money. But at the same time, I feel like for people like us who, you know, what we're doing, we just really care about something. Like there's something in our heart and we want to make a difference in the world. And it is hard sometimes like thinking about, okay, like money versus purpose. But in the process of just focusing on impact, are there moments where you're like, oh, I made the right decision? Totally. And 
you know, one note I didn't want to add to is I know I do recognize that I am privileged to be able to focus on the impact portion of it because I know sometimes you have to do things, you know, sometimes you have to pursue paths that you might not be 100% satisfied in because you have to pay the bills, right? Yeah, yeah. Five. Um, and like, I know that's a real problem for a lot of people and I've, I've been there, right? Um, I've, you know, I've been in a place where I was juggling like four or five different jobs, trying to pay the bills and everything from like selling apples to, (laughs) you know, being an office assistant. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a huge range in that. Um, and I think in terms of, in terms of finding peace with prioritizing impact, um, you know, I feel that every I feel at peace with that decision every day, which is something wow. that's very surprising. Um, because I think at the end of the day, you know, actually one turning point for me too was, um, you know, when we first started off the organization, um, I became friends with a lot of other folks who were starting organizations that were tackling similar missions mm-hmm. and those groups varied from, again, nonprofits versus for-profit companies. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was really interesting because I was having conversations with them over a year after we all launched our companies and organizations. And it was very evident that the ones that decided to go the for-profit route did have to adjust their business model um, in a way to optimize for profits mm-hmm. and fulfill their investors yeah requests um whereas the nonprofits were really able to stay true to the mission and be able to offer the the type of resources that we believed from the beginning would be helpful to the community and i think when i saw that unfold i did yeah. feel a little bit more validated with my decision yeah yeah um, and it's not not at all bashing the one that the companies that did decide to go for profit because honestly, this is such a huge issue, right? And mm-hmm. we just need people to be tackling these issues from all sorts of angles. Um, and so their companies, even if they have to adjust it, is still very important in moving this movement forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I think at the end of the day, it's just not the way that I want to tackle this issue and that I feel like is the optimal way to tackle this issue. Um, and so I felt a lot more peace mm-hmm. with my decision after those conversations. Yeah, that's so good. And on the talk of tackling issues in society, um, can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing right now with um, Hate is a Virus? Sure. Yeah, so um, I do have, so I'm tackling issues with Better Brave. And then also mm-hmm. recently, um, you know, I felt really compelled to tackle this issue of xenophobia and racism against the Asian American community um, that's been fueled by the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason I felt compelled to start this campaign um, with, I actually joined this campaign that um, Michelle Hanabusa from Uprisers started, um, as well as our partner, Brian Pham from Asian Hustle Network. Um, But part of the reason I felt really compelled to be a part of this campaign was because I witnessed a lot of the racism and xenophobia that my parents had experienced yeah. when they were operating their small business in America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were running a dry cleaners mm-hmm. and I 
I was the point person for responding to Yelp comments. Um, and I would just see these really hurtful comments from the community um, calling them a Chinese sweatshop. And I'm like, we're not even Chinese, but <laughs> even if we were, that's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really hurtful to hear because I'm like, my dad was in the U.S. Army. He's an Army veteran and you're calling him names and you're being very racist towards him. And I was just imagining as I was seeing all these news pop up about these racist attacks, especially against the elderly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. It's it's like, why, why do you pick on elderly people? Why do you pick on anyone in the first place? But like, especially elderly people who can't even fight fight back. Right. And I think when I was seeing this news, I was just imagining my parents being in the situation and that broke, that broke my heart even more. And Mm -hmm. I'm so glad my parents retired last year and relocated to Korea, Mm. but I can only imagine what would have happened if they were still in the U.S. Mm. Um, And so felt compelled to do something. And then Michelle um, Hanabusa from Upriser's posted on Instagram the story about how she's been wanting to do something in the space mm-hmm. um, and make a stand that we won't tolerate this type of behavior. So then I reached out to her and I said, hey, I'm in. <laughs> like, I want to help start a mm-hmm. campaign or whatever it is that you're thinking yeah. about. Um, and then Brian shortly followed suit as well. Um, and so the three of us ended up teaming up to push the hate, hashtag hate is a virus movement forward mm-hmm. uh, to tackle xenophobia and racism. And yeah, I can talk a little bit more about how we're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the way we're, we, we have three primary campaign goals currently. So the first one is we're trying to raise awareness of mm-hmm. the xenophobia and racism against the Asian American community. Um, and not just within our own communities, but to communities beyond as well. And we want people to stand in solidarity with us. Mm-hmm. Um, the second piece is we're raising a million dollars to provide relief to small businesses that have been negatively impacted by the coronavirus. And we're partnering with Asian Hustle Network for that fund, as well as um, we're collecting these funds through donations, t-shirt sales, um, partnerships, and more. And then the third goal that we have is to also educate and equip our communities with tactical strategies on how to respond to the racism and hate that we either witness or experience. Yeah. So how should we respond? Because honestly, this whole coronavirus situation, it's been, yeah, honestly, seeing those news about, you know, people attacking Asians, calling names, throwing things, attacking elderly, like, it makes me so mad. Um, and even just like, to be honest, like Trump calling it the Chinese virus, like that makes me so, there was this photo that was released of his speech and his speech book. Um, it was, it wrote, it said coronavirus, but like he scratched it off and then he wrote Chinese on top. I just, it makes no sense. Cause you know, like virus, like there is no race to virus, but why do we have to like make, make it about race and yeah, so like as an Asian person, like how should we respond to the hate? Yeah, I totally empathize with how you're feeling about the Trump situation. Yeah. Um, I saw that photo too, and I so, yeah, it's so ridiculous. Our president's ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, I you know I think one of the messages that we want to promote through this campaign is to really encourage people to you know, speak out 
Mm. stand up and say that we don't tolerate this type of behavior. Mm. And I think that's why we've been encouraging people to spread awareness of this campaign. Um, again, not just within our Asian American communities, right? Yeah. Like we need everyone to, to stand up mm. for us as well um, in support and show that Americans don't tolerate racist comments and behaviors and hate crimes, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, I think culturally, um, as Asians, I feel like a lot of times, like, as like being an Asian, people see us as people who are like quiet, and people who don't stand up for themselves, people who, you know, who just stay quiet and, and don't say anything if someone says anything to them. But I think it's so encouraging seeing our generation, like the younger generation, we are so vocal, I think. And we're learning to to address like you know we're we're learning to speak out things that matter in our hearts, and so I think it's so encouraging to seeing you and all these like young, you know, millennial Asian Americans coming together to support in this hard time. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Where I I'm excited to see our generation standing up and yeah. being vocal about issues that we don't agree with. Mm. Uh, I think there were models of that in the past too among the Asian American community and, and historically yeah. um, that we also take inspiration from. But yeah, I definitely see that, especially with the power of social media and technology, we've been able to spread our messages even further. And that's been um, really inspiring. Yeah. And there's been, yeah, and like there's other Asian American activists too that I'm thinking about, like Amanda Wynn from Rise, Nigel mm. Poo as well. Yeah. Uh, so amazing, so inspiring. Mm-hmm. I love seeing seeing um, those inspiring people in our generation, like stepping up and creating massive change. Really amazing. So I've seen you throughout all these years. Um, and I've seen as a friend, like alongside with you, I've seen you grow and transform into the person that you are today. But I want to ask you personally, how do you think you personally change and transform throughout the years in your journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So I would say that over the course of the years, I definitely learned a lot about myself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was, it was definitely a challenging journey mm. to say the least. But, um, you know, I think a lot of the time, my younger years, I spent focused on achievements mm. um, and achieving. And I was really caught up in that. And you know, and I didn't know when to stop or when to take a break. And it was piling up on me. And I remember that there was this one moment um, in San Francisco where I was catching up with a friend, um, um, friend and someone who I deeply respect, uh, mm-hmm. Patrick Lee, he, he co-founded Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and I remember I was catching up with him this one day and he told me, he's like, hey, Tammy, like, you know, Um, I think oftentimes as entrepreneurs, we feel the pressure that we have to continue keeping up with this identity that we're an entrepreneur Mm. and we find ourselves like starting one thing after another, after another, after another without knowing when to stop. Mm. And sometimes like at the end of it, you may end up realizing that you weren't like happy with any of the stuff that you Mm. um, had created or worked on. And Um, and sometimes you're just like on autopilot (laughs) starting these companies. Right. Um, and I remember when he told me that I just started bawling, like literally in the middle of this venue, (laughs) 
event venue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because I realized that I was headed on that track mm-hmm. where, you know, starting in high school, I started interning with startups. And then in college, I started a startup company. And then soon after that, I started Better Brave. And I don't think there was like a moment for me to take a breather yeah. and just like take some time to myself and figure out who I am and what I want. I was just like very reactive and going with the flow. Um, and I realized I was getting burnt out. Um, there was also, there was also a lot that had happened in that particular year. So, you know, like gone through the breakup, gone through, (laughs) um, parting ways with my co-founder at the time. And there was a lot of change that was happening and I wasn't even giving myself a chance to process all of that. I was trying to distract myself with work. Um, and that conversation I think was really a turning point for me to realize that just realize how important it is for me to not ground my worth and my sense of identity on my accomplishments and my work. And um, after that conversation, I kind of slowed things down. I, you know, unfortunately, I didn't push out as many things as I wanted to for my nonprofit at the time, but I realized that I just needed a moment to recharge and really rethink about rethink my values, think about who I am as a person, what I envision for my future, um, and just kind of give myself a chance to reset a little bit. Um, And in that journey, I had to do the scary thing of facing myself and understanding what my, you know, not only what my strengths are, but understanding my weaknesses, Mm -hmm. my starkest insecurities, and how they drive the decisions that I make day to day. Um, and I, we've had countless conversations about this too. And you've also shared tons of resources with me at the time to help me navigate those moments. But, you know, after that, I feel like I came out a brand new person and there's so many more, I feel much more grounded as a person. And I feel like that the time that I took for myself during that time really has helped shape the decisions that I make today. Ah, so good. So for me too, you know, like starting this journey, I feel like there's a lot of insecurities that come up and there's such a temptation to base my identity on what I'm putting out. And it's like, and sometimes we have to make this disconnect, but I think as people, as creators, you know, cause like entrepreneur, you're creating something. So as creators, like it's, it's hard and I see my deepest insecurities come up. I've never experienced, honestly, I've never experienced dealing with so many insecurities as I have in this past year. This whole journey is so up and down. It's such a roller coaster. And so like, yeah, it's so hard. But like for you, like what are some of the biggest insecurities that you've seen come up in this journey? That's a great question. <laughs> um, Yeah. So in terms of insecurities that have come up for me, um, you know, I think there's a whole spectrum, but it goes from, you know, one day I could be very confident and be like, Tammy, you got this. Like you're on a roll, like great job. And the next day, oh my gosh, Tammy, what, what are you thinking? Like how in the world are you going to pull this off? Mm. Like, who do you think you are? And all these negative thoughts crawl into my head. And I think oftentimes insecurities that do come up are around, like one for me is, um, especially being oftentimes the youngest person in the room, I think I was insecure about my age. 
and feeling like I was very inexperienced um, and that, you know, nobody will respect my thoughts and they were right to not respect my thoughts. And um, I would oftentimes fall into like a hole in regards to that. And I think um, now, now I've, I think what's powerful is I've been practicing you know, I say practicing because it's hard to like, sometimes I still slip, right? Mm -hmm. But I've been practicing trying to transform some of those insecurities and think about how their strengths, right? And so for me, it's, yes, I may be the youngest person in the room and people might not respect me right away because I'm like two decades younger than they are. But um, on the positive side, I do bring a fresh perspective and I do have all of these unique experiences that the other people in the room might not be familiar with because they're from a different generation, right? And so what can I bring to the table and think about and focus on that rather than the insecurities that I have? Um, you know, I think I also have a fear of failing. You know, I've been in the startup world for a long time and we always say like, fail fast, right? Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's a situation for me where it's so much easier said than done. Yeah. And even if I tell myself it's okay to fail, I do still feel it in my heart when things are not going well. I feel like it's a reflection of myself. And I think it's just been a constant practice of trying to remind myself that it's okay to fail. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of time and the beauty of life is that you can make new decisions moving forward. And you can always have a lesson that you learn from these experiences. And I think this is also where like faith comes into play for me, where um, you know, I started going back to church in the past couple of years when I was ex experiencing these lows um, that I was sharing with you. And, you know, it, it reminded me that everything happens for a reason. There's a re reason behind everything. And it's up to us to identify what those reasons might be. Mm. Um, and the least that we can do is try to find the lessons in the moments that we weren't, whether we were happy or unhappy, um, trying to find the lesson to come out of that experience. And again, that's what I've been trying to focus on. Yeah, that's so good. Were there, what were like some of those like failure moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I failed, but you learned something from it? Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> um, I think there were moments, you know, a clear failure is in the nonprofit world, you can apply to different grants, mm -hmm. right? Um, and how grants function is you basically apply as you would for like a college application mm -hmm. and then you go through the process of like interviews and um, they'll tell you if you got the grant or not um, and I was really new to the space and I assumed there's so many differences between applying for grants and applying to college but um, yeah I think I just assumed it's a pretty simple process the application seems simple enough and I put all these grant applications out and got rejected from all of them. And this was at a time where we were really low on funding, right? Mm -hmm. This was after we made the decision to be a nonprofit. Um, we had an initial grant that we used, but we were looking for more funding. Um, and this was like our chance to be able to get more funding. And grant windows are very infrequent as well. And so basically, if you missed it this round, you'd win an entire year to get that funding right mm -hmm. and so I felt like an utter failure at that point um and I felt like I let my team down um and I was really disappointed in myself when that happened um and 
you know, what brought me out of that was, again, going back to this idea of like, what are the lessons that I can learn from this experience? One, clearly, I'm just like, I need to give proper attention and care to these new funding channels. I don't know. I know a lot less than I think that I do know um, the situation. Um, and so I start to map out all the different ways that I could have done things differently in regards to the grants. I talked to different mentors to help me walk through the grant process. And um, yeah, and those are lessons that I'll be carrying forward with me moving forward. Yeah, so good. I think, yeah, with everything we, we learn from it and in those moments, it's so hard and it feels like the end of the world. Well, maybe not the end of the world, but like, it's just like, for me, it's, it's very humbling experiencing things like that. But I think with everything, like taking it as a lesson and growing in character because of that. And like, I think those people who fail and those people who experience hardships, mm-hmm. you know, you're able to come out much stronger more experienced than any other any other person who didn't experience the same failures or things like that right yeah absolutely um that also reminded me of the conversation that we had pretty recently Mm -hmm. as well where I was sharing another one of my failures with you which was um which was I was working on a completely different program for my nonprofit for like eight months and then realized that was not the right path to take our nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And so I just scrapped that program after uh-huh. work um, and decided to go a different route. But yeah, yeah. there's so many lessons that I learned from that experience too. And yeah. I, can you, can you explain a little bit more on that for the sure. audience? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so for about eight months, I was working on developing um, this new program, which was, a program where Better Brave would certify employers for completing a sexual harassment and training program um, that we designed ourselves. And, you know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons we started this program was, again, thinking about the business model for our nonprofit. Even though we're a nonprofit, we need to be financially Yeah. And this seemed like a model that both addressed the issues as well as gave us an opportunity to be able to make money as a nonprofit so that we can fund additional programs or future programs. And I was working on this for eight months and, and, you know, we, we had students working on it. We had experts reviewing the curriculum, but at the end of the day, um, you know, as I was talking to companies and pitching this program to them, they were really excited Mm. uh, actually. And I would have just 10 minute phone calls, with a lot of these companies and they would be ready to sign on for 10K, 25K, 50K contracts to adopt the program. Mm-hmm. But, but a huge, but <laughs> I realized that many of them were signing on for the wrong reasons where they were wanting to adopt this program more for press purposes for positive PR for their company rather than a desire to actually change the conditions Mm. of their toxic company, right? Or any toxic behaviors that could occur at their companies. And when I realized that I was in a situation again, where it's, do I take the money and do this program because it will give us an opportunity to be sustainable as an organization? Mm. Or do I scrap this program, give up the money, and start over and try to figure out what the next step will be for for organization and ultimately 
again, gut, <laughs> my gut feeling was that something was off in pursuing that initial route of working with employers. And so um, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. But I decided to email back the companies that we were talking to say, hey, so sorry, we decided that we're not developing this program anymore. Here are recommendations for other programs you can use. Um, and I went back to square one and trying to figure out what, um, where to take our organization. And, you know, that was like a really big, that hit me pretty hard because it was something that I was working on for so long and into for so long. And I was excited about, um, and to just have to completely shut down that program was really difficult. With that said, I think, you know, but I, again, is I'm in a situation where I'm so happy and relieved that I did that mm. because that gave me the time and space to really think about, go back to our roots and reevaluate what our mission was at the very beginning yeah. um, and what we were fighting for originally. Mm. And that ultimately helped us shape programs that we launched this year. <laughs> uh-huh. Which is, can you talk about the programs for this year? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I think a, a big learning from that, mm-hmm. from that experience was that, um, you know, I think where our organization strength lies is really supporting the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's important to help companies figure out how to navigate these issues too, but our organization specifically, I think, can be able to provide unbiased information to employees who might be navigating these issues directly um, and you know empowering them and connecting them to pro bono resources whether it's lawyers therapists counselors mm-hmm. whoever they need to talk to to figure out next steps and so with that in mind um, one of the first programs that we launched is the better brave community platform and so it's essentially a, a wikipedia for workers rights mm-hmm. and so in the community can contribute resources that might help them navigate a toxic workplaces. And then we'll have expert editors on our end with backgrounds in law and psychology to then vet those resources, fact check them, and then we'll publish it live for our community to access. Um, and that was really important for us to keep those resources free because oftentimes the people who are most likely to be affected by things like sexual harassment and discrimination at work are often people who can't also, who cannot afford these resources. Um, yeah. And then the second program to come out of this is the Better Brave Tour. It has been slightly affected because of the coronavirus <laughs> yeah. events, which was what it was initially supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But we're making, uh, we're turning things digital. And so we're hosting trainings on university campuses um, digitally. Um, and different communities and associations and industry groups to help them learn about what type of resources are available to them and how they can navigate issues that might come up at work. Yeah, so amazing. I really think, you know, I love your heart behind everything you do. And it's so amazing seeing you make these difficult decisions to focus on impact versus profit, impact versus money. And I think it, it's a tough decision to make but I think, you know, I think really it's those people who focus on impact and purpose. I think those people are the people who win in the long, long run. I agree. And, and thank you, Sharon, because I think you're also a key component in helping me realize this. 
um, especially when I was going through some of my lowest points. Um, it was so, I can't tell you how encouraging it was to be able to have conversations with you and just share with you where my head was at and where my heart was at. Um, and just to have your voice <laughs> encouraging me and directing me to different resources too. So yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Um, what was like the one biggest like faith over fear moment for you? Good. Another good question. <laughs> faith over fear moment. I, you know, I think there's a series of different events where I was, I felt like I needed to put faith over fear. I think one, it started with facing myself. I think that was a really, I underestimated it because I'm a huge journaler. I always journal and I thought I knew myself, um, but I realized that I didn't. And for a while I was just constantly working and had my motors running and I wasn't actually taking time to check myself and see where I was at. And it was kind of scary for me because I was scared to look inward again, right? I'm like, who, I don't know who I might have become during this time and what more insecurities that I've been trying to just bulldoze over might surface if I were to look inside. And so I think that was one moment where I had to really overcome that fear and just have faith that this is a time that I needed to take. I needed to take this time off and pause to really reevaluate things. Um, That was also scary because I haven't taken a time to take a break in such a long time. And I think there were a lot of fears in terms of like, if I take this break, what's gonna happen to the organization? What's going to happen to like X, Y, Z? How about the people not responding to an email? And, you know, I I think there's a lot of concerns around that. Um, And so that that also played into my fear of taking that pause. Um, And then, you know, I think it's like taking baby steps. So like practicing putting faith over fear. Cause I think it started, that was probably a big moment when I started to put uh, prioritize faith over fear. But over time, you know, I think the example that I shared about leaving that program behind, even after putting all of that work in, mm. I think that was another instance of putting faith over fear because I have this fear of if I shut this program down, I'm back at ground zero where like we don't have money for the organization. I just, I just said no to the funding source that could have provided for staff for like another entire year or two years. Um, and that was another difficult choice that I had to make, but I think I just knew in my gut that this was the best next step to take. And I don't, I didn't even know what the next step was going to be at that point when I shut the program down. Right. Like I didn't know, I I wasn't thinking about the better brave community platform. I, it was literally, I had no idea what was going to happen next, but I just knew I had to cancel that program. So I started with that and then just held the faith that God would show me the way and the next step to take from there. Wow. That that's huge. That is a huge faith or fear moment. So now coming out of all that, like if you were to take out all the, you know, all the things that you've achieved, all the, um, all the title, all the, you know, like the companies that you founded, if you take away everything, who are, who is Tammy Cho? Hmm. I want to hear your response to this. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I just thought of this question, (laughs) but I thought it was a good one. It is a very good question. <laughs> um, I think if you were to strip all of that away, mm-hmm. I would say that I am somebody who 
is just trying to do the right thing mm. and take care of the people around me. Um, yeah, because I think I have thought about this before too, mm. where I do, I have tried in the past year since like my journey of reevaluating everything in life. Um, I've been trying to live each day intentionally and spend my time more intentionally. And I think, you know, a big part of that is like, if I were to die today, like, did I do something positive for somebody in my life? Like, did I call my mom? Like, did I, you know, check in on my friends? Um, was the work that I was spending my time on meaningful and helpful to the community? Um, and yeah, and I think, and that doesn't have anything to do with accomplishments, right? Like, I don't have to, if I wouldn't get a medal for <laughs> texting someone back or um, working on the projects that I do and being at peace with that and like, being okay with that. And yeah. I love that. And I just want to say, like, you know, I've known you. You're the oldest friend that I have, you know. I've known you, it seems like, all my life. Um, but one thing about you that I can say, confidently say to anyone, you know, is that you, you seriously have a really kind heart. And I think, you know, obviously, like, you are one of the most impressive friends that I, I have. You know, you've achieved a lot at such a young age, and you've done a lot. But, like, since we were nine, like you, you've always had the kind heart and you always wanted to do the thing that was right. And you care a lot about other people. And so I'm, you know, I'm so honored to be a friend, to, to see that in you. But also, I just want to remind you, like in the core of who you are, I think you're really kind and you're really caring. And I think people who know you know this. Thanks, mm, Sharon. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way about you. I think ever since we were growing up together, you were a ball of energy, <laughs> but you're, no, but you were like such a light. I think ever since we were a kid, ever since we were kids, you know, oh, you're laughing. gonna make me cry. <laughs> most, I know, I'm we're having a sappy friend moment right here. <laughs> no, but I need to say this. Um, yeah, like ever since we were growing up, you had such an infectious positive energy about you and I really I feel like yes I'm optimistic naturally mm. but I think you really um you really taught me to be even more optimistic about everything and just have this faith and confidence that no matter what we'll pull through the difficulties and <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm crying. I know. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, we both just just since childhood have gone through a roller coaster of life, <laughs> life events too, um, and through all of the downs, the lows, and the highs, you were there for me, and always so encouraging. Um, and it's no surprise to me that even now. You are such a light to all everyone through this podcast, through the coaching, and just being an amazing friend. So oh. thank you. Thank you for being in this world. Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm really grateful, I think. Knowing from, you know, our, both our background with parents and, like, our, our families know each other, but, like, I think just, like, seeing 
you know, us growing up in Orange County and like, you know, in, in families that, that weren't, you know, really privileged, but like we've worked hard. And I think, honestly, I just thank God. I think it's just the heart that he has placed in us, the heart to help. And honestly, I think it's, yeah, I don't know. I think um, I want us to, in the next decade, two decades, and, you know, in the future, I really hope that we can be strong and confident in our identity and who God created us to be, that, like, we have a voice, that we can make an impact on this world and continue to do, I guess, what we're called to do. And I'm excited. Like, I think, you know, we've we've come a long way since we were third grade and we were fighting and just mm-hmm. talking about crushes and, <laughs> and reenacting Korean dramas. Yeah, and trying to cry on demand and <laughs> oh <Nothing>. man. <laughs> <laughs> and knocking on the door and like to each other's house and trying to talk to each other through that and oh, like Yeah, because we were only separated what by a single wall. Yeah, a single wall and like all those different things. Um all the fights that we've had growing up and Man, from that to where we're at, yeah, I think it's by God's grace where we're at. And I'm just excited to see how he, I guess, elevates our platform and allows us to shine in the areas that he has placed us in. So I'm really excited. <laughs> um, so uh, enough with our sappy friend, friend, friend <laughs> Um, this is a question that I ask everyone on my podcast. Um, it's if you were to write a letter to our generation, a letter that begins with these two words, dear millennials, what would you write? Hmm. I would say dear millennials, I hope that you take time to get to know yourself very deeply, um, what you care about what scares you, what insecurities you have. Um, and that once you have a strong foundation in yourself, the rest will fall into place. So good. So, so good. Oh, man. Tammy, thank you so much for making the time to be on my podcast. And thank you for being such a wonderful friend and for being who you are and doing what you're doing. And just being you thank you for being you Mm, yeah you are truly (laughs) beautiful inside and out thank you sharon you as well and um, thank you so much for having me on this podcast and sharing your platform with me and so proud of you and all the work that you've been doing and everyone should listen to this podcast because (laughs) it's incredible the stories that you've been able to feature here so keep it up Thank you. Love you. Oh, love you. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can connect with Tammy on Instagram at Tammy Cho and join the movement hashtag hate is a virus to fight against racism and xenophobia against Asians. I really hope that this episode has encouraged you to realize that We have a voice and that we can step up and take action to create the changes we desire in our society. Um, Tammy is just an incredible example of that. So I really hope that, you know, her story has inspired you. 
Thank y'all so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys on Friday. Bye.